Regular listeners will remember my friend Samuel McClure Taylor, who weeks and weeks and weeks ago talked to me about his new book, Blueprints for a Shakespeare Cult. At the time we spoke, he was in the Chicago Shakespeare production of Hamlet, running, uh, running on Navy Pier, but also at the same time, the Backroom Shakespeare Project was doing three productions of Hamlet with different casts in different bars throughout Chicago. Sam, was just was that? Were you just throwing down the gar, gaunt? No, were they throwing down the gauntlet at you? <laughs> I won't say no. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 654, Dueling Chicago Hamlets. Something is reactive in the state of Chicago. There were several productions of Hamlet this spring of 2019 here in Chicago. There were productions happening at the same time at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater and the Backroom Shakespeare Project. There was also The Trial of Hamlet, which was conducted at Chicago's Museum of the Contemporary Art. There was Quicksilver Shakespeare's ongoing Mercury Hamlet, in which a group of actors draw character names out of a hat and play those roles in Hamlet on the night. And of course, I'm sitting here in Chicago doing a few rewrites on Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel, which Reed Martin and I workshopped this spring. So lots of Hamlet-specific activity going on. And my friend Samuel Taylor, the author of My Life with the Shakespeare Cult and Blueprints for the Shakespeare Cult, was involved with two of those productions, the ones that Chicago Shakes and the the Backroom Shakespeare Project. Sam and I got together recently to talk about this particular trend and to talk about how not only does the Chicago theater community support each other, but how these productions of Hamlet seem to complement each other as well. I don't know what it is about this city, but it goes through it goes through cycles where like a few years ago everyone was doing Moby Dick and now everyone's doing Hamlet and Frankenstein. It's right. like it's like we've got some sort of book club or something. <laughs> well, and Looking Glass is on an entirely nautical thing yeah. <laughs> with Moby Dick and Treasure Island and Twenty Thousand Leagues. It's a cool opportunity, I think, to see. And we are far from the only other sort of dueling Hamlet going on right now. Um, in the during the run that we had of Hamlet at CST. Um, there was a, there was another Hamlet that was a, um, oh God, it was the trial of Hamlet for the murder of Polonius, and it was, it was, there was a jury that was actual judges and lawyers, I think they did this at the MCA. Oh, cool. Um, and I think the verdict was different, uh, depending on sort of the evidence presented in the cross-examinations that I think were improvised. Um, and, and the activist judges? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were like... It's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's a sticky legal question because he intends to kill Claudius and he kills Polonius instead, um, which is. Right. uh, Right. So he's, yeah, yeah, what, exactly what crime do you charge him with? Is he mad? Is he not mad? Anyway, so there was that going on. There was the other one, The Gift had just recently closed a production of Hamlet. Um, Mercury Hamlet was opening their sort of long prepared uh, production where they all learn all of the parts and draw out of a hat for their parts 15 minutes before the show. That's insane. It is insane. And I think, uh, I imagine that after a year or so of doing that, it becomes possible. I just, 
I just can't imagine what your first time doing that is like. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah, let's talk about the first time. Cause when we talked about the, the, the Shakespeare cult, mm-hmm. you said there was something kind of gloriously stupid about the notion of performing Shakespeare with so little rehearsal in a bar. But there is something electric about oh, it, yeah. too. And the audience knows it, it, it adds a level of uh, tension and may, maybe danger and maybe some of the things you get from watching an improv show where things could go wrong, but that's not the goal. The goal is to do it right. And um, and I think there's something of this magic in the in the backroom shakes is productions in in, in a way that the the Chicago Shakes Hamlet gave you a very highly produced, wonderful reading of the the script and the way they treated the ghost was amazing. Um, And and, and you'll get a completely different energy from the backroom Shakes thing. It's kind of actually awesome that one could see both, could have seen both shows in the same sort of week. There was a woman who came to our second round of uh, Hamlet who had seen, I think, three productions of Hamlet within two weeks, and she was going to a fourth later on. I think she'll be coming back to our last one as well. Um, Yeah, I think it's great. I think there's a lot of ways to do it. I just think we we do it right. (laughs) Well, and there's something about, like, when, when we came out of the Chicago Shakes, this is the only, this is the only critical thing I'll say about the Chicago Shakes production, was that it's a hard play to do, and this has been true of other productions I've seen, it's a hard play to do because everybody Every actor in Hamlet needs to be good as the actor playing Hamlet. Hmm. And that's not often the case in big companies. Hmm. Um, um, and yet with backroom shakes, it feels like a, like there's a greater opportunity for at least every actor in the company to be sort of on the same level. Does that make sense? I think of that as part of... You, in addition to watching the play, you're watching an actual person do a thing that is actually very difficult. Yeah. And watching someone do something very difficult in good faith yeah. is always interesting. You know, it, I mean, it, like watching a kid try to tie their shoe can be really fascinating if it's very if it's difficult for them and they are trying. Yeah. Like it can be the most like it's like a turtle race is how I often think of it. Like mm. the turtle is so slow. <laughs> And it is not a good race from like a racing perspective, but from a the perspective of like I have an investment in whether or not that turtle gets across the line. It's incredibly exciting, <laughs> and so and so there's always that going on, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which is kind of a, a safety net for us in that like the worst it ever gets is that people are trying hard to do something difficult and the audience is there and kind of rooting for them. Yes, and and, and if you and if you see them phoning it in or not trying yeah. then you lo- and, and not not to say that that's what happens but it can happen you could go to see a professional production and you could see that happen and you go wait why am i even here it's happened a, f- a few times for us not often but it's happened a few times where people just clearly didn't care yeah. and clearly didn't work or prepare for it um and that was sort of a huge disappointment to the other actors who, yeah. who had worked their brains out um, for this stupid thing that you do only one night. Um, yeah, you want people calling for a line because they're desperate, not because, oh, okay, it doesn't matter, I can call for a line anytime. Yeah, and what's interesting is that in the times that we've had people do that and eventually sort of reach for a script and be like, oh, hell, I'm just going to be on book for this for this show. Um, it, what's really interesting is is that it creates a divide between them and the other actors on stage, and the audience is on the other actor's side. Yeah. So the audience like winds up 
sort of taking sides in the play in a way that is really interesting, and it, it's a good way to lose the audience's sympathy is to is to not care. Yeah, um, and, well, a good, and, and a good way to keep it is to care. So I think that's one of the fundamental differences between a production like Chicago Shakespeare's production, a quote-unquote real production, and a backroom Shanks production, is that you've paid a lot of money, <laughs> you've sat down in your seat, you want to see a good production of Hamlet. So there's this, you're, you're not necessarily on the actor side. You kind of are, but not necessarily. But you come to see yeah. a backroom Shakes, and you're, we're all in this together. We're all in this creating this environment. When you go into a real theater, you are not, you are of course part of the environment, but not necessarily part of the environment. The production will happen whether you sit in that chair or not. Yeah. And that it's not quite the same in Backroom Shake. I mean, think of it like, I think of it like a wedding, right? Yeah. So if you go to a wedding and, and you have paid a lot of money to fly there and it is obvious that the cake you are getting is $90 a slice. Like, you have a totally different expectation of that cake than if you show up somewhere and there's, like, a drunk guy with an accordion and pickled herring and is like, hey, there's cake. You're like, oh, my God, cake. Um, I think the same is true of, of theater. Like, if you... And, and the tickets to the production of Hamlet were $90. Yeah. So if you go and you put down $90 plus parking and the time out of your day and for a lot of people babysitter and the yeah, whole thing, yeah, yeah. like you have a completely different expectation of, of what you can expect. And I think a lot of people are expecting and, and even maybe demanding from that experience something that, that the plays were not designed to deliver. Hello. My name is Ryan Allen Jones, co-artistic director of Quicksilver Shakespeare Company, and you are listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? You can see Reduced Shakespeare in your own home by owning your very own copy of Pop-Up Shakespeare, written by me and Reed Martin and illustrated by the marvelous Jenny Mazels. It's on sale worldwide, and you can find links to both Amazon and independent bookstores in the U.S. and the U.K. on our website. We have two performances left of our spring-summer of 2019 tour of The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged Revised in Lakeside, Ohio on July 18th and in Lake Placid, New York on August 10th. We'll have more performance dates starting this fall of 2019 both in the U.S. and in other places, and we'll announce those dates just as soon as we can. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with Samuel Taylor, the co-founder of the Backroom Shakespeare Project and also the actor who played Guildenstern in Chicago Shakespeare Theater's recently closed production of Hamlet. So getting back to this, the, 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 these dueling productions in, in, in Chicago, what it, what it struck me as is that, and this is one of the reasons I just love Chicago, you know, the, 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 commun- the communal nature of this community is that um, it feels like Fringetown. 
It feels like Edinburgh during Fringe. It feels like, oh, okay, so Chicago Shakes is doing The Hamlet. And um, 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 Mercury is going to do their Hamlet. Backroom Shakes is going to do your Hamlet. It's like, it's like they've, Chicago Shakes threw down the gauntlet. We're doing our Hamlet. You guys want to do your Hamlet too? Let's make it a summer of Hamlet. Is that, did you, were you able, since you played Guildenstern in Chicago Shakes production, were you able to see the Backroom Shakes production? And were you able to, did you see, what kind of differences did you see? Oh, I, I played Guildenstern in the Backroom Shakespeare production. <laughs> what was that like? It was weird. Yeah? <laughs> um, oh, wow. I mean, it was inter- It was an interesting education because, I, you know, I talk a big game about how it's always better in the bar. Um, and what was interesting is that, like, I think I was worse in the bar. And I think it was partly because I was still attached to some other ideas or, like, I had I had worked on it in a different way and crafted all these little non-textual moments yeah. that I think that I was quite proud of in the in the production at CST. Um, but none of, like when you're in the bar and you're doing it in the playhouse style where where it's so sort of rough and breakneck speed, you don't do non-textual moments really. If yeah. you're doing those, you're going out of the audience's way, and they generally don't appreciate it. Right. Um, so there was all sorts of stuff that was hard to sort out how to leave behind and do what was happening now. And what we wound up, what I wound up discovering is that, like, oh, my job in this production is to come on stage and be as simple as possible and do the information and let the audience sort out how to feel about it. Whereas the job at, at uh, CST was really, like, let's tell a really well-defined, constructed story about a specific backstory and a, and a you know, a specific set of relationships that is, like, cool... Probably not necessary. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, what is necessary and what is good are not necessarily the same things. So it was interesting to do that. And the, the part that I had a lot, actually a lot more fun doing um, was because I also played the first Gravedigger in the Backroom Shakes production. Um, and that was a cool, that was maybe a more fruitful study in contrast because I was less, like, in it. And the other weird thing about playing Guildenstern then was to then go back on stage the next night at CST now with a different version of it in my head right. that was also a strange experience but so the Gravedigger at CST was played by uh, Mike Nussbaum America's Mike Nussbaum the, yeah like the, the 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 sort of uh, haunting spirit of all of Chicago theater yeah. he's a wonderful wonderful guy and also he would want to punch me in the face if you heard me talk about him that way um, <laughs> and he plays he plays a wonderful uh, Gravedigger and then I was playing the Gravedigger um, and was doing it completely differently, obviously, um, because I'm not 95 and still doing 80 push-ups a day um, and not doing that version of it. But it was also very different in that I discovered quickly that, like, oh, this version of Hamlet in the bar has become very fun and very funny, and there actually needs, like, I am playing the clown, and those laughs actually belong to me. Yeah. So what I have to do is I have, I have two tasks. One is to, like, exert control over the laughs and get the audience to believe that, like, there is a reason for the laughter that is happening. It is structured, and it is in the play, and it is going to happen faster and with more intention than it has for the rest of it. And then was, like, I also need... Um, the, also, the audience also needs something <laughs> on this night which was not foreseen. The audience also needs something to to pull them back into the sort of stakes of the play. So it was a really interesting moment where I didn't quite know how to do that. And then it came to the section where Hamlet is talking to the gravedigger about like, um, oh, how long have you been a gravedigger? It's like I came to it on the day that young Hamlet was born. And Hamlet says, when was that? 
And I just got absolutely furious with whoever this guy was at the graveside who didn't know when young Hamlet was born. It's like, this is your country. Yeah. Have a little respect. <laughs> it's on the day that old Hamlet overcame old Fortinbras. And that was sort of my way of trying to give back to the actor playing Hamlet um, a little bit of gravity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, and, and there's so much of what you just said that's interesting to me, not the least of which is, is the fact that you were in performance discovering what needed to be done in during this performance. And that's the, getting back to the <laughs> stupidity, quote unquote, of, of, of uh, doing this with little rehearsal, is that you go and you, it, it changes every night because you need a different thing each night and you only know that when you're there doing it. Which is not the case in a, in a theater that's rehearsed. Right. And it's not the case in a theater that doesn't give its audience a real role. Right. So, you know, having actors talk to the audience in a rehearsed play is nowhere near the same thing as not knowing how an audience is going to react to something and deciding to embrace that, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and I think that is a very Chicago way of working. I think there's a lot of companies that operate with a very direct and actual relationship with the audience. Like think of the neo-futurists, for example, mm. for whom um, there's no sort of pretense. You are who you are on stage. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a very similar relationship. And I think the uh, Mercury Hamlet folks, I think, also draw on some of that, which is that they don't know how anything is going to go. They don't know who's going to be playing what. They don't know what the, how the audience is going to behave. So they've got even extra layers of that kind of uncertainty. Um, and I, I feel that there's something Chicago about that. Yeah. And, and I think this question of like, what is the relationship between all these Hamlets? Um, it's always been interesting to me to consider the history of Chicago Shakespeare Theater, which is that they started at a time, um, and I may be butchering some of this history, but this is how I understand it, um, and it's helped me to understand them. Um, they started at a time when there was a movement happening in Chicago that was towards a grittier sort of slap each other and scratch and say a lot of swear words kind of style of theater um, in Chicago in the 80s. Um, and they, in, a, in an important way, stood against that. They, they were kind of a counter-revolutionary organization, to my understanding, which is they said, what happens if we take verse very seriously? And if we do this in a sort of dignified style that would play internationally and not, very much explicitly not in the style of the rest of the direction that Chicago theater in its real Wild West 1980s days was going. And so in a really interesting way, there is an inherent opposition between the kind of theater that Chicago Shakespeare is doing and the kind of theater the rest of uh, the kind of Shakespeare the rest of Chicago in a very underground way is doing, um, and a lot of the the Shakespeare that the rest of Chicago does is a lot less well funded, um, and therefore is also aesthetically very different. Um, but I and I mean this without without insult. I um, I do sometimes feel that Chicago Shakespeare Theater is in fact maybe Chicago's only regional theater, hmm. which is to say that they have as much in common with the Guthrie and APT and Actors Theater of Louisville yeah. and other sort of regional theaters around, the Denver Center, um, other folks like that, as they do with a distinctly Chicago style. And that's partly because they, you know, their audience likes to see folks from out of town, I presume. You know, they always cast the four or five sort of largest roles from out of town, or almost always, anyway. I've done... 10 shows there now. I think I, I can't recall a time when there were more than one uh, 
of that sort of core group of four or five that there usually is in a Shakespeare play from Chicago. Um, and most of their directors and designers are also flown in from out of town. They have a lot of international programming. Whereas all of the other Hamlets that are happening at the same time are 100% homegrown. Yeah. Um, and are in a different kind of relationship to the city. And probably a different have different audiences. I think a lot of Chicago Shakespeare's audiences are coming in from the suburbs. Um, I don't think a lot of backroom Shakespeare's audiences are coming in from the suburbs. I think they're riding the train. <laughs> Sometimes we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Less, though. <laughs> 100%. Well, and, and, and what's, uh, what's also great about the, that brief reduced history you just gave of, of, of Chicago Shakes is that they were doing all this um, uh, anti-revolutionary, revolutionary theater when they very first started in a pub. In the Red Line pub. Yeah, that's a really interesting sort of twist of fate. Yeah. And, and one of the things that I often think that distinguishes the Backroom Shakespeare Project from CST, people are like, oh, it started in a pub, just like just like CST. And it's like, well, yeah, but we didn't raise $100,000 and then, and then start a theater company with an artistic director. Right. And then sort of leverage all that press into a completely different kind of organization. Yeah. We, we started in a bar, and we're still in the bar. And at this point, I think we've done, you know, it's been eight and a half years and we've done, I want to say upwards of 60 different shows in Chicago. We're within striking distance um, of completing the canon in 10 years, um, which is a totally different (laughs) kind of a thing. You know, I mean, in 10 years, nobody does 30 different plays in 10 years. Um, and nobody, like, it's, I'm very proud of that. Um, well, and you've I'm, done a couple of those plays more than once. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. well, weirdly, Two Gentlemen of Verona was our most performed play for a long time, which is crazy because it's not even that good. Right. Um, and super problematic. Um, I was going to say rapey, but okay. Yeah, super rapey at the end. Um, I mean, all the way through, really. But uh, we did that one a bunch of times. Uh, we did Much Ado a bunch of times, Romeo and Juliet a bunch of times. We've done Othello, I think twice um, and Hamlet three times this summer <laughs> yeah yeah there's one guy Sam Pearson is uh, he's playing Claudius all three times for Backroom Shakespeare he's also understudying three different tracks in the CST production and is in the CST production so that guy is one man Hamlet coming soon from Sam Pearson <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. There are two performances of Mercury Hamlet in which actors draw their roles out of a hat and then play those characters in Hamlet that night in the next couple of weeks. Go to quicksilvershakespeare.org for more information. Then send us your bare bodkin via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to Melancholy Stain Matthew Croak, Web Services by Ginger Power Limited, Music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Jeff DeLeon. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Ryan Allen Jones, the co-artistic director of Quicksilver Shakespeare Company here in Chicago. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 654, 1960 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. So is Backroom Shakes now checking what um, Chicago Shakes' upcoming season is going to be and programming counter, counter to it? Ah, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you, we did Titus Andronicus 
the Thanksgiving weekend, or like right before Thanksgiving, right after Trump got elected, and all of these sort of leftist actors and audience members were about to go home to talk to their families. Um, and the play ends with a feast in which people are eating their own families and everyone gets killed. I cannot tell you how right and good that felt. It felt like we had figured out the only possible thing to do, which was totally futile. I mean, we were spitting blood at the camera, is all we were doing. So I, I, hope, we, I hope we continue to do some, some, uh, some comedies, and I hope we also get to spit some blood at the camera. And if, if sometimes that means spitting some blood at the, at the better-funded Shakespeare companies in town, so be it. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.